everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Today, I am uh, Mike Urie. This is my friend, Tim Stafford. <laughs> As opposed to other days. As opposed to other days. Yeah, just today. Maybe you'd come back from vacation with a whole new identity. Well, let me tell you, it was, it was a close thing. The Erie fam went to Florida for a week um, and turned bright red. So we are back. <laughs> we look like lobsters. And it is glorious. How was your week, Timothy? My week was good. Yeah? It wasn't in Florida. It was here. But it was probably just as hot, if not hotter. Well, yeah, but Florida adds this swampy yeah. like effect to just it. Live in the water. Yes, we did. You sent us a good picture of Seth and his... Um, floaty ring just have like living the dream Seth? which i asked him yesterday i was like how was florida he's like good i was like like was it did you do all everything like did you have fun he's like oh yeah oh is that what he said <laughs> yeah. nice seth will grab my phone and sometimes make random calls to tim stafford which <laughs> is awesome no we did we did the um up late go to the beach go to the pool take a break go to the beach go to the pool go back to the beach that was our daily routine yeah a good routine and yes the water was like 82 degrees i mean it was just magnificent yes but um it was hot i'm not gonna lie mid 90s and then like 86 percent humidity so it was like yeah. whoa the nice thing with that is that you're not paying your electric bill when you're in the hotel room facts so you can just crank that thing boy that, that is that ac yeah we stay in this little condo we found this little condo place and um right on the water and so we cook and um, nap. I mean, it's just the amount of sleep we all get is just ridiculous, except for Seth. <laughs> Seth, Seth, it's just funny. He's up early and roaming around, and he, he will literally go into every room to try to snuggle with everybody. Um, <laughs> it's just pure love. Well, yeah, except that he wakes you up, and then struggles yeah. for about 30 seconds, and then he's out. <laughs> so anyway, all that is to say, great week. Here we are. We're back. We're on the, I don't know, what, what are we on? We're on the horse, and we're, uh, we're going strong. We got a big, big, supersized episode today, Tim. We may have to cut it off because I've got, we've got emails. We've got questions. We've got, um, we've got content. I mean, it's just, it's all a thing. Just a whole thing today. So, first of all, and and very importantly, I want to thank a whole bunch of people who, over the last couple of weeks, have um, joined the support team for the podcast. And you know, it, it's um, it, it is an immense honor to be able to um, to release these and to do that without any sort of considerations. For finances because we have a whole community that supports the podcast on two different platforms. One is tithe.ly, tithely is what we call it, <laughs> and one is Patreon. And they, um, they're both relatively straightforward. One has sort of tiered rewards that we are in the process of reworking, and Tithely's, um, Tithely's sort of a straight, just uh, without the reward, sort of one-time giving, or you could do repetitive giving on that too. But um, all that is to say, we are incredibly humbled and grateful to be a part of a community that supports 
the podcast in this way. We are a 501c3, so that's all of it's tax deductible. We have a board, um, and we're crowdfunded, <laughs> meaning that we don't try to. We have a board that is board, and we're crowdfunded, <laughs> meaning um, you know we're not doing advertising or anything like that. Is that Although we Top could that movie, Chairman of the Board. He was like a surfer. That's funny. Remember that movie? No, I don't. But good for you then. Thank you for that addition. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I want to thank Dane, and I want to thank Sarah, and I want to thank Lori, and I want to thank Rick and Jennifer um, for coming on the Patreon team. I want to thank Matthew and Chris for joining the Tidely team. You guys are amazing. If you want to find out more about the podcast or about those individual ways of connecting with us, go to voxologypodcast.com and all of it's there. So thank you. Um, We also, uh, besides being generous, our community is very, very intelligent. And we were voted uh, most intelligent podcast audience, Um, not podcast, but podcast audience by the Voxology team. Yes, that is a key distinction. And as always, we just get a tons and tons and tons of wonderful, thought-provoking comments and questions. Um, and uh, so here's one. She says, I've listened to the light episodes, June 27th and July 11th. And both times, the same question came up in my mind, so I decided to bounce it off you. You both shared the stories of realizing that behaving in Jesus-like ways feels like the most important way of, quote, witnessing. I agree with you, but what's pinging in the back of my mind is the thing that I remember hearing taught in church over the years. It's not enough just to be nice or kind. Many non-Christians are genuinely way more loving and considerate than Christians. That part sure is true. Uh, uh, But... There seem like there have to be words to our witness. I'm wondering what your thoughts on this might be. And then the second part of the email is yet another exhortation for you, Tim, to watch all of The Chosen. We've received numerous numerous emails saying, hey, we share your skepticism, and The Chosen is actually really good. So, Tim, you've got homework, and we expect a report back. (laughs) Yes. I I love the weird things that I get the most, like... (laughs) Yes. Yes. emails and stuff on is always funny well it is tim and and it shows that you're a beloved member of the community uh especially when you're wrong about something it's and true. so um anyway so yeah the the idea that we have to talk what do you think yeah. about that timothy because mormons are nice people too atheists yeah. are nice people too it's not enough just to be nice correct Correct. I am reacting to this as you read it, so this is off the top of my head, but the first thing that popped in my head was that Jesus wasn't just talking, walking around being nice. He was disrupting a lot of things, disrupting social systems or, you know, whatever. So I think that that, like my wife this week, the little Episcopal church in town had this event called I Will With God's Help Journey Toward Racial Healing and Justice. It was an eight-hour class taught by these different people in the Episcopal church about sections on the indigenous culture here, um, the African-American culture, Latino culture, and even talking about what does it mean to be white. And it was, and she just came back beaming. And most of the people that were there were in between the ages of like 60 and 90. So it was a, it was was an older crowd that you wouldn't expect. And they were there kind of 
having reactions where like one guy's reaction was, you know, I came in here thinking you're going to indoctrinate me with your CRT and these things. But I, at the end of the day, feel like I've actually learned a lot and I have a lot to work on. And I think that that is, so we were having a long conversation about what does it mean to enter into long conversations with people, especially about the masculinity stuff, because it's Mm -hmm. very threatening to a population of white men to have their identity challenged in a way that makes it feel like you are telling them their entire identity is wrong. Mm. Um, and how do you enter into a conversation with them to show them that that's not the case, but it's something different than that. And that's not just nice words and kindness. That's disrupting systems and it's still in love, but it's very intentional. That's my long answer to your question. So, so your answer would be, it's not just being nice. It's also disrupting. Yeah. I think he was was intentional on, yeah, it was important to show not just what's normal, but what is, what are, what are systems that are compromising other people or coming over other people. And he was very intentional about being, it wasn't just being nice. It was like, you know, if something is off, you call it off and you explain why. But what I've found is that you can't just do that. Mm. And that'll often be the evangelical model is just to say, you are a sinner. You are wrong. Repent, run away, get away from me. Rather engaging in relations with people and walking with them through change and walking with them through, you know, you can't just say you're wrong because what tends to happen is people galvanize Mm -hmm. behind the wrong action because they're, they're defensive. And so if there's, then it just becomes a yelling match and nothing comes of that. Yeah. So I do think it's a lot more than just kind words. Well, I would just settle for being kind. I mean, literally. Sure. I, yeah, and all the implications that come with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it might be wise that we just all shut up and, and focus on being kind and growing <laughs> into loving people. Um, I would take that as a minimum. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah, Jesus seems like he... So, yes, there's a place for talking, and yes, we'll get to what kind of talking we're talking about. Um, talking because, about talking. Yes, because there's this this verse, you know, we must speak the truth in love that gets horribly mis, misapplied and misquoted and misused. But Jesus seemed to do three kinds of things. He offered stories, signs, and symbols. Um, and our, our conversation, if any, has to be part of that sort of intermingled web. So the stories Jesus tells, of course, are just parables, right? A very common art form, um, in, in oral cultures that are memorizable. They're not literally true. There wasn't really a father that had two sons, but you know, it's, he's making this beautiful point about what kind of father, uh, the God in heaven turns out to be. And so he's telling, he's using very earthly um, and earthy images to talk about, okay, what is, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Oh, well, it's like this treasure buried in a field, right? A farmer came across it and went, oh my goodness, this is so much better than anything I've ever come across. I'll sell everything I have so I can buy the field and own the treasure. Um, so he offers stories. Uh, he offers signs, right? And, and the signs authenticate the story. The signs are healings, the disruptions that you talk about. 
the prophetic actions he takes like against the temple or against the Pharisees when he eats on the Sabbath or picks grain or heals on the Sabbath. Like, or in John's account of Jesus's life, there are seven signs, miracles that Jesus does that sort of demonstrate his reality. So the, the stories just aren't enough either, but they're accompanied by signs that bear witness to the reality of the stories. And then he gives symbols, uh, washing feet, sharing a meal uh, that we call the Lord's Supper, uh, being baptized. Like um, he sort of, sort, he creates this, this narrative web that he invites people into around story signs and symbols. So if we're going to talk um, uh, about, you know, we're, it's not enough to be kind, we have to talk about that. Yes, that's true. Um, however, I think that it's not as true as we're tempted to think it is. Hmm. That, um, that living in a world of story, sign, and symbol is itself witnessing to the reality of the kingdom. And that right. doesn't always require verbal accompaniment. Sometimes it does. Like there's a, a time where Jesus heals a man in order to prove he has the authority to forgive sins. So he says, I forgive right. your sins. They go, well, who are you to forgive sins? And he's like, well, just so you know, I have that authority. I'll heal the man. Yeah. And Jesus explains what the, the sign meant verbally. And I think there are, of course, places for that. But I, I want to so err on the other side of saying the focus is on me being a part of a community that genuinely witnesses to the reality of Christ and, and all that is encompassed therein, um, that whenever it is, I, that whatever it is, whenever it happens that I'm talking, what I'm talking about is an abstract proposition. I'm talking about story, right. sign, and symbol. Yeah. I, and I keep thinking about, you've said it a few times, like understanding or living into our true humanness, right? Yes. Is that, is that a correct way of saying that? So yes. Our little town has a, like a very large homeless population mm. and um you know anyone who's i think we've probably all been a part of a homeless ministry that is rooted around the idea of evangelism in the sense of evangelism of um saving souls right so going yeah. to these things making lunches handing out toothbrushes but making sure that you share the gospel yeah. within that setting yeah so this morning we were talking about it and it's like I don't want to do that. I want to serve. I want to find the people who are doing the work here already and partner with them. So I'm mm -hmm. not reinventing mm -hmm. the wheel, but coming alongside the people who are putting in 40, 60, 80 hours a week right. serving other human beings and going there because there's a need, not because I, I want to share the gospel. But right. so then it becomes defining what evangelism really is. And if it's helping humans live into their full humanness in the kingdom of God that is at hand. That's very different, right? Because that changes what services. Because then sure. I'm serving them because they are humans in need. That's right. And 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 trying to edify and lift up and and help, like I don't know. So yeah, the whole the whole conversation becomes different as soon as you start to change with the meanings of. Yes, that's it. If the God, if the biblical gospel is, pray a prayer so that you can go to heaven when you die, right. and accept Jesus into your heart. Um, then, uh, and, and all Jesus cares about is whether you go to heaven or hell. You can leave everybody in their poverty. Right. Then 
yes, evangelism looks a lot different. So to me, this is a very natural conversation that comes out of what understanding what creation, yeah. the new creation is, that, that salvation is the repurposing of the human vocation that includes forgiveness. Yeah. Hallelujah for that. Yeah. But forgiveness, descri- forgiveness of sins describes the whole reality of new humanity. And it's not just one little element of my religious life, right? It's the air yeah. we breathe. If the air we breathe outside the kingdom is the, are the particles of wrath, then in new creation, the particles that we are breathing in are the particles of forgiveness of sins or resurrection or whatever. Yeah. So these are describing elements of reality that are far bigger than just religious notions that rescue people yeah. from this awful world. So I, I think you make such an important point, Tim, and it's related to your other one, um, that, that the sign stories and symbols, if they are related, if the gospel is understood incorrectly, maybe in abbreviated sense, or maybe, yeah. maybe there's a misplaced priority, whatever, evangelism becomes something I think it was never meant to be. Totally. And, that and skew I've, off of the, the V shape, right? That you start yes. at the same point, but you're veered off. But the further out you go, the further off you are. Yes, exactly right. So, yes, it's not enough to be nice, but doggone it, I'd settle for being nice. Like, <laughs> right. I'd be okay if that's all that happened is that Christians yeah. became known for kindness. Totally. Um, yep. so, so, I think you raise a great point, dear questioner, and I really love that pushback and we're, we're actually going to spend a little more time on this because we're hearing it like you've got it's not just enough to be nice yes there are people who are nice absolutely um uh but but how it is then from niceness or kindness that we engage people it looks completely different i think than what's been at least for me traditionally construed is what counts right. as evangelism all right next question and this one my goodness um, this one is from a dear sister who says, I have a thought or question regarding your podcast about Jesus being the fullness of the image of God. This was a couple of, uh, episodes ago. If he is the complete representation of God, what God looks like with clothes on, which is something we said, what does it mean for women as image bearers? Um. Why is God's image divided between two genders if all the full representation of God appears as a human man. Even the helper, the Holy Spirit, seems to be referred to as he, unless there is an error of translation. Uh, Not as a thought exercise, this is so poignant, not as a thought exercise, but as a tender wound from my life in evangelical circles. I have to ask, where do women fit in the image of God? What a wonderful tender question thank you so much for um asking uh, me in particular to clarify um i i am so very grateful um a couple of thoughts there are a surprising number of feminine references to god um uh there is um and, and, you know, you see this particularly with, with some of the Old Testament conceptions of God that get buried in English. Um, like El Shaddai is a, a feminine image for God. Um, Jesus, when he talks, you know, talks about he, like his heart is breaking over Jerusalem and he wants to, you know, um, he wants to uh, g- like gather 
the the city under his wings and protect them like a mother would a mother hen would do over her chicks like that's a feminine image paul talks about being a nursing mother as he's pastoring a church now that those are just little ways that english misconstrues um often the 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 very um the very like complicated picture of God and the the terms that are used uh, in reference to God, um, the Holy Spirit, in fact, um, is is often referred to in feminine terms, like at, like a personal being who is feminine. Um, you don't get that because we use the personal masculine pronoun he, but um, in Greek it is much more interesting and complicated than just he as a referent. Um, that's why some, and, 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 you know, there's a whole story about why it is that we don't always accurately reflect, uh, the femininity of the, the spirit. Uh, and you can guess kind of what some of that baggage might be, but let's talk about Jesus for a second. All of that is sort of preliminary to say, yes, uh, masculine imagery dominates, even, even though there are exceptions to that masculine imagery dominates jesus came as a man and that is used um and called just men um as renewed israel and so okay so what do we make of all of that um first of all jesus's image bearing is um is consistent with his gender genderedness but not exhausted by it in other words, when Jesus, we talk about Jesus being the true image of God, we're talking about the revelation of God, not as a man, but rather in his full humanity. His genderedness is not what makes him the full representation of God. He could have easily have come as a woman and made the same sorts of claims. And, and there is a, a terrible confusion that I think exists from Genesis 1 on about what did God create in Genesis 1 and 2? And my view is, and there are loads of smart people who disagree with this, but my view is because Adam is not used as a personal name until late into the account, and Adam literally means human, that what God created was an, a sexually undifferentiated human um, and that we call Adam, which just means human. Like dirt yeah. being, earthling, literally, because the ground in Hebrew is Adama. And so Adam comes from the Adama um, and is named as a human being. And it's not until uh, late in Genesis 2 when male and female, when it's not just that God took a man and then created woman from man so that she would be his helper. It's that God took this undifferentiated human and turned that undifferentiated human into two genders. Hmm. And now there's a gendered pair, but there wasn't prior to that. So when God declares the image of God over male and female, he's very specifically saying both male and female are needed to image God. Um, and in the case of Jesus, Jesus, of course, his genderness was part of imaging God the way my genderness is or the way yours is. But um, when we talk about the exact representation of his being, the word hypostasis, we're talking about the character of Christ in his humanity. We're not talking about the gender nature of Jesus. So where do women fit in the image of God? They fit exactly where they've always fit. 
as equal, absolutely necessary counterparts to gendered men um, in reflecting the full image of God and co-participating in the vocation given to the first humans. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's helpful. So, so I, I totally understand, not totally, no, no, no. I think I understand um, how that can be misunderstood. Um, oh, yeah. And especially the way I framed it by saying, no, 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 in Jesus was all of it. And yes. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think that's a really important question. I would love, if you would, my sister, um, react to that and push deeper if that's not helpful. And so that's just like a, an intro, you know, to the conversation. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on my thoughts yeah. about your thoughts. <laughs> and we can do that for an infinite, you know, number of rounds. But I'd love, yeah. I'd love to hear if that's helpful or if that's confusing. Next question. Again, we've got a ton, ladies and gentlemen. We're 25 minutes in, and we're not even... We're not even to the Facebook questions yet that we got. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, this was just, a, I thought, a thoughtful comment. Regarding the church's presence in society, it strikes me that questing for power and using power on behalf of others is an important distinction. White evangelicalism seems to be preoccupied with questing for power in order to exercise control over society. That's not so great. Amen. Um, I'm adding amen there. As members of a democracy, though, we have power that can be used on behalf of the marginalized and oppressed. I wonder if it would be helpful to talk about the Christian use of power in the public square. I think it would be, and that's a great conversation that we ought to have. True, our primary calling is to be transformed ourselves, but part of that transformation leads us to stand up for justice and that stand can and should be societal in nature. Now that last part, I don't know. Because I think we stand for justice first and foremost in the community of God before we stand for justice um, in all of its richness other places. What I mean is, it's easy for the church to look at justice elsewhere and to ignore the injustice sitting, right? We have loads of white people who are now concerned right. about race who sit in all white churches. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, but what's the order there? And is justice societal in nature or is it societal in nature accidentally as the church embodies the better alternative? Um, and I know I'm quibbling a tiny, tiny bit um, and I may have added to con confusion here, but I just wanted to say, yes, the idea um, of the, the Jesus, and we'll, we're going to talk about this someday if we get through all of these <laughs> wonderful questions. Um, <clears throat> Jesus surrendered power for love, and Christians surrender love for power. That's how this works. Tim's thinking about it. He's looking off. He's thinking about it. I'm just, I'm, I'm tumble drying those words in my head. Go forward. Yeah, you are. Well, no, I mean, it, it like, I mean, this is just what he's saying, right? Yeah. Jesus surrendered all the prerogatives and privileges of being deity, right? And he, he became the lowest of the lowest servant, even to death, death on a cross, right? You could not attain a lower social status than that. Right. 
Um, so he surrendered power for the sake of God so loved the world. Yeah. Christians surrender love for the sake of power. And, yes. um, and very often we seek power in the name of, quote, love. Right. Uh, but that's totally. not what love turns out to be, right? So I wanted to read this comment and go, yes, I think you're right. Um, and it is interesting how participating in a democracy makes this a little more confusing um, because we are invited to give our opinion through our votes about how it is that we think our government should be run. Whereas, you know, the early church, they didn't have a say, nor was that ever their focus. They never thought about making Rome great again because they didn't have a say in that. And so um, <laughs> that does add a complicating factor. But I love the, the idea of a topic on how do we exercise um, our, uh, our votes or our politics in the public square? And one of the first questions I'm going to ask is, um, what, what is it about the public square that invites us to exercise our politics? And is that, right. is that, is that the compelling nature? Because the first thing I want to think of, and this is new for me, first thing I want to think of when I think about politics is the politics of the church. Right. That the church is a political entity that practices a different set of political leanings that are not Republican or Democrat. They're entirely upside down and inverse of both. And um, so um, I want to resist the, sirens, the siren song to transform culture, even as an extension of, yeah, but aren't we supposed to stand up for justice? Yes, but how we stand up for justice is at issue. Correct. Boom. Just thoughts. Disagree. We're not here. Somebody, somebody posted recently like the idea of like the church in America loves to posture itself as though it is the new Israel. <clears throat> you know that we are the new chosen nation of God and then we and then we take on all the characteristics and the personality traits that we understand from God's chosen Israel in the Bible and try to superimpose them on ourselves, but we're more likely when you look at history, Rome or Babylon, <clears throat> and not, yeah. And not Israel. And so it's, it's interesting when I think about these conversations about how to, how to exist publicly, but also how to exist with one another. I always just think about what are our, what are our priorities within before those conversations begin? Yeah. And if your priorities are not centered on what the kingdom is advocating for, then you should stop and reassess everything first yeah yeah because we just we get so off base and then you see the church performing publicly and it's terrible correct and it's like well <laughs> look at what the fruit you know look where those roots are planted and you see yeah. where the fruit's coming from and then it's time to it's time to stop and prune and go back and yes. figure it out right when we're seeing exactly right we're seeing the fruit of a certain way of understanding the gospel in public life and we're seeing the fruit is bad in a large, you know, sector. That's of such an interesting conversation for the whole deconstruction movement, right? When we think about all the young people who are like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I see corruption. I see X, Y, and Z, all real things. But even in that conversation, often we're talking about symptoms and not Roots. causes. That's right. Yeah. So it's like, how, like that conversation moves to everything. How do we... Yep. How does it the start, church become It starts all as, the way. Starts all the way back yeah. on how it is we approach the Bible, and that this new generation, as we deconstruct things, and so many are walking away, 
or it, it, you know, it's like a, it's like not even a pruning process. It's a, um, just let the tree die process. And I wonder how much of it can be going back to roots and causes rather yeah. than just reacting to fruit and symptoms. Yes, exact bro. Exactly right. So that's that. I think that's why we spend a lot of time on what salvation, like what's the gospel, exactly. how do we read the Bible? Because yeah. none, I mean, and again, it's just saying, hey, there's a lot of bad fruits. Jesus makes fruit the issue. If you want to know true prophets from false prophets, look at the fruit. And fruit turns out to be not big ministries or big personalities or eloquence or spiritual gifts. Fruit turns out to be obedience to the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And so when you look for fruit that way, there's almost none to be found. Now, part of the reason is that kind of fruit will never be publicized and it will be, it will be resistant to, you know, publication. Absolutely. Yep. Um, So I'm not, not saying it doesn't exist. It's certainly not the loudest. Right. So for some of us, we sit and look at the bad fruit pouring forth and we're saying, no, 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 we've, we've lost it somewhere. And so we trace it all back to the foundation of, okay, so what's the text actually saying to us? Yeah. And and again, uh, further generations will correct us, no question. Yeah. Um, and we, I'm sure, I'm sure we have massive blind spots. Um, it's just if, like what humans, our bodies are so amazing. I like scratched all the skin off of my thumb in the swimming ouch. pool. And yeah, it hurt and it was bloody and I was like, just look. And then, and yesterday I was looking at it and my skin grew back together and, and like sewed itself back together. What? There was a, there was an accident. I got hurt and then my body like recorrected itself. And it's like, we're literally built that way where we heal. Like we heal when we do something wrong or when there was a wound or something happens. Why can't, why wouldn't the human construct that is trying to move through history be the same way like admit wound and heal wound <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, like in regards to the church like changing itself as it grows like people yeah. taking what we say and doing it better yeah what did what did you know in the worst star wars movie ever made we are what they grow beyond yes is that what he said yeah Kevin? well I, yeah yeah and i appreciate the hot take setting that quote up um <laughs> so so again we're just uh, can't say it enough would love all of your feedback and pushback and whatever the goal is just to continue to, to work through this together so this is somebody from new zealand so how yeah, great yeah. is that we have a few listeners out there amazing unless it's the same person always messaging well it could you know we'll take we'll take a couple yeah, um, I want to take a field trip. Well, New Zealand is a long way from the USA. Recently, I've seen many of my Christian brothers and sisters adopting some of the worst ideas coming out of Christian America. And the fact that mm. Christian America is even a phrase that we use, <laughs> you know, is hell on earth itself. It has left me at times wondering, not if I was a Christian, but rather, is there something different I should call myself? <laughs> to be honest... I felt ashamed because of the behavior of my Christian siblings, both in New Zealand and the USA. Somehow it seemed uh, that to be a Christian meant I had to subscribe to some views and behaviors I don't believe are Christian at all. Boy, there are a lot of us with you 
my dear friend. Um, let's see here. I don't, uh, I was at the point of giving up and leaving my church, even though I knew God wanted me there. I was tired and sick of it all. Today's podcast showed me what I need to focus on, the one anothering. I need to focus on the one anothering in the church. That it needn't be a battle that that all I need to do was was to allow God to continue to transform me and to be an example of his love in our church in the world. Okay, I'm sorry, I, I misread that. It needn't be a battle and that all I needed to do was to allow God to continue to transform me and be an example. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, this was an answer to prayer. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, the idea, and I love this, it, and this is something Tim and I really have to wrestle with too, is you look around and it's so easy to bemoan the state of the church abstractly. Yeah. And that just that's, and we find ourselves doing this. It's just easy to take shots because there's always something awful going on. Yep. And uh, that's why both Tim and I are committed to be parts of local communities that are working on the long slog of of trying, you know, to to embody something more healthy. Yeah. And um, so I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know what to do about the term Christian because um, I whenever I use it, I have to immediately quantify it. You know, um, and yeah, uh, not that kind of Christian, right? Right. Um, so I don't know, but great thoughts. Thank you for that. Um, all right, we got a couple of uh, questions from Facebook. Now, I just want to remind you as we've been going through this series, uh, we we've been talking about just okay. So what what does it mean to kind of quote share our faith? And um, and so we started with the idea that we bear the name of Jesus. And that bearing of his name is something that describes our whole life. We don't bear his name just when we open our mouths to share him. We bear his name when we're driving. We bear his name when we're churching. We bear his name when we're shopping. There isn't one aspect of human life that isn't bearing the name of Christian or Jesus. Part of bearing his name is showing off his beauty. And that's where we talked about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so all we're doing is we can't make Jesus more beautiful than he is, but we can live a life of resistance against all the ugliness that gets attached to his name. And, um, and then lastly, um, the focus of being transformed isn't the culture, it's the church. We're the people who are being transformed. We're not the transformers. We're not out um, taking back America for God. We're not out trying to um, uh, impose the life of the kingdom of God on people who've not yet seen its beauty. We are the church and the commands and the focus in the New Testament is on being the church. And that, if you've been in church, literally takes up all the rest of your life. There's like there's not a lot of energy left over if you're really serious about this. So we got a couple questions after the last episode. Uh, a question for Mike Erie: Does 2 Corinthians 5:20 refer to all Christians as ambassadors? Even if it doesn't, is it true biblically that all Christians are ambassadors for Christ? Uh, and 1 Corinthians 5:20, or 2 Corinthians 5:20, excuse me. Um, says, 
we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, this is a wonderful, wonderful example of how very often we read the Bible thinking the we's are me's and, um, and the you's are us. <laughs> and so, so, you know, very often we'll read, hey, um, uh, you, and we'll read it as if I were the audience, or we'll hear like, we are Christ's ambassadors. Like, well, I'm, a we. I'm part of that we too. So we read either of those pronouns, we or you, as somehow with us as its referent. And um, the we's <laughs> in, in uh, 2 Corinthians are Paul and his ministry team. So Paul and Timothy are mentioned at the top of the letter. And so the we's are Paul and Timothy. The you is the collective <laughs> church in yeah. Corinth. That's the you. Yeah. Now I'm eavesdropping on this conversation 2,000 years yeah. later. Reading someone else's mail. I'm reading someone else's mail. And so the first thing I have to do with the text is say, okay, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Now, what, what Paul's doing here is he is in like he he is talking about how how he has presented and he and his team have presented themselves um, yeah. as in weakness, as in because um, because there's pushback on why he didn't come to them and like there's this deeply pastoral thing going on where Paul's being compared <coughs> and criticized to other super apostles and uh, the letters <laughs> the super in, apostles this, they were called well at least that's the way we translate the phrase that you super yeah. apostles like super friends and, and all of this really goes to 2 Corinthians 12 well 11 where Paul starts boasting in his weakness like he's building mm -hmm. but but here he is justifying how he and his ministry team have approached them and so he, he begins that section um, by talking about, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord and try to persuade others. Um, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience, right? So the we, there's a we, there's an I, and there's a your. And so the we is Paul and Timothy, the I is Paul, and the your is the Corinthian church. Now, that doesn't mean... What he's saying can't be abstracted to, to what's true of all of us. But right. it just means if you ask that question, hey, does this, does this particular verse refer to all Christians as ambassadors? The answer is no, it doesn't. It refers to Paul and his appeal to the Corinthian church to be reconciled to God. And he and his team are approaching them as Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through them. Right. Now, then he asks, even if it doesn't, is it, biblic is it true biblically that all Christians are ambassadors for Christ? It depends how you understand the word ambassador. Yeah. So do all Christians bear the name of Jesus? Yes. Are all Christians part of a church or part of the church? Yes. Are, are is ambassador here um are we smuggling missionary into the word ambassador um mm. are we is ambassador simply mean a representative of an alternative government right. if if so yes yeah when you say jesus is lord you are a representative of an of a alternative government absolutely yeah 
But ambassador can often have missionary contexts, some of which I don't know that we'd fully buy into. Right. So there you go. Great question. Yeah. And then here's, here's a doozy. I'm loving the current series on rethinking evangelism, especially the special introductions by the one and only Seth Erie. It's amazing now how Seth is... If, if, you, if, if you and I are addressed, Seth will be the first... So it'll be mm-hmm. Seth, Tim, and Mike, yeah. um, which is totally appropriate. Or it'll just be <laughs> Dear Seth. Right. Could you please ask those two numbskulls that you do the podcast with? So it's, it's quite <laughs> funny. And I, and I also want to just say thank you for loving him so much. Like, it's super cool. Part of yeah. the reason why I, I want him on the podcast is to show that kids like him are not burdens to the world, uh, but yes. they, they are the jalapenos. They, um, <laughs> he is a prophetic witness against the powers. He is a prophetic witness against the powers and principalities that measure human worth in terms of effectiveness and efficiency. Yeah. And so that boy, you know, I show that guy off any time we can. So anyway, thank you all for loving him so, so dearly. He... He he loves this. He will sit on Monday afternoons. He will keep asking Tim Stafford podcast, meaning has it been released? And then he will go up and put it on, especially if he's on it and listen to that part yeah. maybe 80 times. That's where a lot of our listens come from. Anyway, <laughs> back to the email. I'm totally tracking with the line of reasoning that it's not about getting someone to verbally agree with a set of propositions and that we ought to love our neighbors and enemies without the ulterior motive of getting them saved. Great summary, young man. So here's my question. Uh, What is the invitation we extend to non-Jesus followers? If it's not just the sinner's prayer or an equivalent, what are we inviting them into? Boom. What a great question. So how, Tim... I've done a lot of yapping. Take it away. You're going to throw this one to me? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. We're talking about what it means to be a church in this town. And so that conversation about not evangelizing the homeless, but meeting the need was part of that conversation. Yeah. Like, and edifying the humanness. And, and I think that I, I'm in process on a lot of this, and I'm reading a lot of books on it right now. Yes, you trying are. to really understand what it means to um, to be the kingdom and exist here and if evangelism isn't saving souls but inviting people into what the now and the not yet is um, it becomes less of a conversation and more of a long walk hmm. and so I'm seeing it a lot in that way of like you know like how hard I struggle with the 30 second pitch yeah. elevator pitch thing that we yeah. have talked about quite a bit Obviously, I'm not a 30-second person on any topic anyway, so it's <laughs> kind of a moot point. But um, I don't. I think if somebody wanted to know what the community was about that we were involved in, I would just invite them to continue to come mm-hmm. and engage in the conversations, be part of that, and to serve with us and that kind of stuff, and to see what it looks like to live within that. Because I can't. I don't think that. I I don't think I can do it justice in words. So when I think about that question, that's the only answer I can think of is that I would have to, I'd have to sit with that person and walk with that person, invite that person into a bunch of other 
communal uh, aspects to see what it is in both the good and bad ways. Like just the full humanness of what we're trying to accomplish or do or yeah. live in. And, yeah. I don't know. I love I love that answer, Tim. So what I hear you saying is first you would invite them into relationship with you. Yeah. And and that and this was something Gamba said on his all right, I think he said it on ours, right? He would be very hesitant to quote lead someone to yes. Jesus because that would entail oh, yeah. a lifelong commitment to yeah. them personally. Yeah. So I love that for you, what you're inviting them into is relationship with you. Yeah, um, as an extreme introvert. Yep. Yes. Yes. There's only room. There's only room for three people on that life raft. So on my table, it's, it's just two. Oh, and any better Pearl Jam <laughs> reference. Not for you, baby. Well done, man. You're on fire. Um, and that you would invite them into a community. Oh, right. I love that. Now we're now we're cooking. So, well, if you no, think do about it. loving somebody, I we. So when I think about what Gombas is saying too, like I don't have the bandwidth to love everybody the way that everybody needs to be loved. Yep. And that's something that evangelism does not even talk about. Right. Is how to really. So we talk about this with youth ministry all the time. Take kids to camp, do this big like. Oh no, the world. You like you're like look yeah. out right. they say a prayer and then we're like all right cool good luck because right. there's not enough discipleship after that so that's kind of the model in a loose generic metaphor way of what evangelism looks like right i wouldn't be able to go speak at a camp with a couple hundred kids preach the gospel as that as it's understood in that setting and then actually effectively love 300 400 500 kids after that to walk with them in community that's just obviously not realistic right so inviting people into a community where they can't, where you're not the sole focus of loving them. I'm really just talking off the top of my head, but where you're That's all we not do. the sole, it's not my sole responsibility to love that person completely, to bring them into a community where they can be loved and edified by a community of people just seems even more realistic than yeah. just I love me, that. that I'm the savior. I'm the savior of this conversation. Yeah. Man, that's a great, great starting point. That's an invitation into relationship with me, and it's invitation into a community of which I am a part. Well freaking done. Um, so let's think about the announcement of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was he inviting people into when he said those words? Well, there's some obvious things that you immediately pick up, right? The kingdom language means he's inviting you into a political reality. There's some sort of authority vested somewhere. Um, um, so, so kingdom uh, assumes king, and in, in the word that means kingdom uh, in Greek has three nuances, king, reign, and community. And so a king exercising power over a community is what a kingdom turns out to be. And so you would pick up instantly on the fact that this was some sort of political entity, an alternative to the kings of the world. You would pick up on the fact that it's entirely communal, right? There's no, it is a group uh, of people. It's not something you do on your own. The kingdom of God is a, a political, social reality that now exists. Kings reign community. Yes, or people. And, and you yeah. see this, you see God's kingship 
I mean, this way all throughout the Bible, right? At, so God, God in Genesis 1 and 2, God is presented as a royal artist. Um, and um, the, the, he then gives this human community consisting of Adam and Eve and whoever else. Um, um, and he reigns over them. And, and one expression of his reign is the, the invitation to not eat of the fruit of that tree, but of to have the fruit of any other tree. Yeah. Um, when God pulls together Israel, uh, he, they call him king. They understand him as king. They, uh, even though they ultimately reject him as king, the treaty God makes with them in Deuteronomy is fashioned after what a king would give his vassals uh, or his subjects. We call that Torah, but it was instruction. Um, and it wasn't punishment, it was wisdom. And um, so how did God, God reigned over a community through the exercise of Torah, right? He reigned over yeah. a community of humans through the exercise of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So what does Jesus do? Of course, Jesus gathers a community and, um, ex and rules and reigns over them through his life, teaching, example, sign stories, the whole thing but he will blatantly say anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice it's like someone who built his house on a rock and the right. storms of life and the storms that are coming to Jerusalem and Israel won't touch them and and so Jesus places himself and his teaching there so the idea of king rule and people is just displayed through the Adam and Eve, son of God, Adam was called a son of God, Israel was called a son of God, and then Jesus, of course, called a son of God. And so um, that dynamic is super important to pick up. And they would have understood that. When, when you heard the phrase kingdom of God in the first century, there, it was backloaded with imagery and prophecy and promise and deliverance and freedom. Backloaded so much that Jesus actually tells people to be quiet when they figure it out for the first part of his ministry, right. because it's backloaded with nationalistic and militaristic triumphalism, whereas Jesus was coming not in those terms, but to do something far more beautiful and, um, and uh, what would we say, compelling. Right. So what is Jesus announcing the thing that you've been waiting for, the thing that you're expecting is now here, right? So what is that an announcement of? It's an announcement that something has happened and yes. you have to reconsider your way of living in light of this thing that's happened, right? So right. Um, to call that a story, well, it's true that it is, a story, the story of God we're entering into, but it doesn't give it, it get, doesn't give us enough teeth there, because what Jesus is announcing is a reality, right? So when I when I got in to um, a dermatologist five years ago, there was a, a weird looking mole. Justy looked at it, and was like, I, "You sh you should get that looked at." And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. I'm a guy. I don't do I don't do these things." Three years go by. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. Three years go by. I get the thing checked out. A doctor calls me and says, you have melanoma, which by the way is the deadliest form of skin cancer. And if it spreads, could kill you. Yeah. Literally that was the message. 
Um, shoot it straight. <laughs> shoot it straight, Doc. Right. Now, what, what is the doctor inviting me into when he gives me that announcement? Participating in the reality of the, of what that all entails. The yeah. Having cancer, it, what it looks like. Yeah. It's an announcement that something has happened. And right. my response to that announcement is either ignore it, right, or deny it, which I guess is the same thing, or, as I love your word, participate in the new reality that I have a new identity. And that new identity right. is cancer patient. And so um, what I was, and, 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 and I'm riffing off the top of my head too, so maybe this is going nowhere fast. <laughs> but I want to reflect on what it means to respond to an announcement versus responding to acute Sunday school story. Like an announcement is that something has changed and as a result of that change, you are confronted with a decision. And I think that's what Jesus is doing when he announces the kingdom is here. I think that's what the doctor did when the doctor said, you, you, you have uh, this form of skin cancer. And so I had to first accept an identity statement. I am somebody who has cancer. And then, and again, it's skin cancer, and I realize, you know, there are far worse kinds, but it scared the crap out of me, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, and, and then the second, the, second, the, um, the second invitation was to then begin to act in ways that aligned with the truth of my identity, right? So I went to the doctor. We did a surgery. I, they cut it out. They did biopsies of lymph nodes you know like it was a whole thing money was spent anxiety was had all of those sorts of things <laughs> and um and so that two-step process of recognizing i now have an identity that's new and then aligning my life around that identity i think that's what jesus is inviting people into and um you know we've talked about this ad nauseum before on the podcast but to, to use a positive example, when I stood before a pastor on July 9th in the year 2000, and the pastor looked at me and said, well, you're a husband. I pronounce right. you a husband. Legally, you are a husband. What was I invited into? What I was invited yeah. into was a rea the, the announcement that something had changed. And right. because of that change, I was now invited to live in, uh, in alignment with that change. So yeah. what it changed? That, that analogy has always been helpful too. You've used that before, like the, the where we enter in, you take on the title of husband, you take on the title of father, and while the title is a new facet of your identity, you have no idea what that entails yet. Yes, yes. So the what I'm inviting people into when I'm inviting them into relation with me in community is an announcement, right? That that. The, the long-awaited, hoped-for, God isn't going to sit back and let us destroy ourselves, but is beginning to put the world back to the way God intended it, that that happened in this Jesus of Nazareth. And that as a result, we can either align ourselves with that project or not. And I can tell stories about that, and I can point to signs and symbols. But fundamentally, 
And this is from N.T. Wright uh, when he talks about what, what is an announcement, right? What's a herald? When, when you would use the word gospel, it was an announcement. It wasn't a series of uh, pieces of information. It was something big happened in the world. Right. So in our communities and in personal relationships, I'm continually testifying through sign, symbol, and story to that new reality. And obviously it's not perfect. As you say, man, I got married and I had no clue what it meant to be married. Yeah, I'm but still learning. I'm still learning. <clears throat> but my married life was an exercise in aligning myself with what was already true of me. Yeah. Right? And, and it was a joyful exercise mostly because it was in the covenant of relationship with somebody that I loved. Yeah, but you can... And when it is fraught or difficult it's often because in marriage that what that's where the metaphor breaks a little bit because it's the two parties and that when either one of them is not fulfilling or living into their identity identity it it, it brings turmoil into that relationship and you can see how that also carries over into this announcement as well that when we do not live into the identity of what jesus has brought forth and what is Mm-hmm. You can. It starts to break. It starts to deteriorate, or it, or yeah. like, it brings in turbulence, and it's like that makes a lot of sense. Like when you're pushing against the the healthy merits of your of that facet of your identity, there's trauma. Yeah, and that's what the church is. Yeah. The church is a community of people learning how to be married. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's yep. and it's ugly and it's messy, it just yeah. the way yeah. all of our marriages are. Yeah. Right? And you're like, I don't know what this means. And that's where the authority of the Bible comes in. The authority of the Bible isn't exercised as, as power over. The authority of the Bible in that context is exercised as wisdom and, and ways. And, and, and if it's used properly, it creates social dynamics that reflect the reality of who we are together. Right? Yeah, so it marriage. Shows you the, it shows you what those look like when they break down. Also. Oh, both. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So for me, the, the Bible becomes a record of the announcement and um, it's, it's echoes throughout yeah. the early church communities, right? And all of its messiness. Yes, and all of its messiness. I think so, that's an interesting part of it because in that context, the messiness and the brokenness of humanity that's in there we try to baptize it and give it like positive spins yeah. because it is in the Bible right. rather than it being like, these are facets of like the messiness of this whole thing that Jesus is invested in. But yeah, with all the turbulence that's involved within it. Absolutely. kind of an interesting, I mean, yeah. read first and second Corinthians. It's right. so much turbulence, so much, <laughs> but Paul doesn't give up on them. Right. Paul, Paul doesn't say, yep, Jesus, Jesus actually has a better group over here. So, no, I think it's so um, unbelievably important that we begin to um, understand that what we're talking about when we talk, right? Back to the first question. What we talk about when we talk is not a set of propositions that we memorize that are dry and dusty. It is, it is the way we would talk about, the way I talk about my marriage 
is the way I should talk about right what Jesus is and and what he does, right? So when people say, "Hey, so so how would you meet your wife?" Right? That's a fun story. I can tell I can take an hour to tell that story. I can take 30 seconds to tell that story. I can adapt and adjust that story. Um, when, when, you know, people ask, well, how, how's your marriage going? Like what have been some ups and downs, man? I have all sorts of things that I can share about that. And, and we still engage now. My wife and I have 22 years of shared story, sign and symbol, right? You know what I mean? There are signs and symbols along the way that, that, uh, have carried us through rough patches, right? And, um, and so, so when I'm talking about, uh, my marriage, there is something that happened in reality that caused me to change my entire way of looking at the world. And I'm still yeah. in process on that. Um, but it's not a story about, um, it's not a story primarily about you and what you should do. Right. It's, a pri- it's primarily a story about me. Now, this can go too far. There was, there, there's a, a, a woman on Twitter who, um, you know, if 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 people think we we're deconstructed, man, I don't think the deconstructors would accept this. Um, this uh, I I don't know. This young woman um, has some very interesting takes, but she had one on evangelism, and I'm trying to find it here uh, through the notes that I've not gotten into at all. Um, because the questions have been so great. So I'm just buying time, flipping through papers. Ah, here she is. Um, She says, I know this is hard for many Christians, but people don't need all caps Jesus. You may need Jesus and that's okay, but that doesn't mean everyone else does. Believing that you know what others need is both supremacy in you and wildly disrespectful of others. Uh, Somebody, the comments were amazing because somebody was like, well, if you have cancer, when you want your doctor to tell you, that's always the comeback I was familiar with too. When my doctor, my all caps, when my doctor with whom I made an appointment, knowing something was off, tells me I need surgery, ask him why he explains, then I make decisions. When a Christian tells, when a Christian who knows nothing about me and I've not invited to speak into my life tells me I need Jesus, it is supremacy. Um, the let's see, uh, you will never know what I need more than what I know I need. Right. So so man, this this just this series of comments was <laughs> off and run it. Because on the one hand, I get the sentiment, right? And totally. we're warring against some of the abuses of that, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter if my life's a mess, if I'm an ass, if I'm whatever, I can justify it all in, with mission. And, um, and, and we even had a, um, an emailer come in and, and point out that, that some of the stuff in the SBC, some of the abuse was covered up for the sake of mission. And so it's become this sort oh, yeah. of you know, this justification. And, and we, we want to stand against that too. Absolutely. But on the other hand, um, 
and I'm just processing it loud, I, I kind of want people to experience Jesus because I found life and freedom and liberation there. And so right. please don't hear us or me, I don't know about you, Tim, please don't hear me saying, hey, words don't matter, you know, the focus is just yourself, uh, anything else is, you know, awful. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Um, but I am saying that even when it comes time to speak, there are ways of speaking gospel yeah. that are aligned with the work of Jesus and ways of speaking gospel that are not. Yeah. And the approach that she identifies, me not knowing you, um, um, and um, having an agenda in our relationship with you, that's not something I would respond too well either. But I do. I mean, we the one of the reasons why we do the podcast is that we think Jesus is actually wonderful and amazing and that the church is worth spending your life for. And like we think it's true and it's real. And um and so we would want people to encounter this. Absolutely. But as we'll get into next episode, right? Love invites. <laughs> love doesn't manipulate. Yeah. Love doesn't coerce. Love doesn't. Love invites. That's all love does. And so yeah. when we speak about the God, as when we speak as people who are gospeling, we're people speaking in the same way that as we'd speak about our marriage, right? This is this is what's happened. This is what's gone on. This is how we're aligned. Um, anyway, brothers and sisters, we're, we're well over an hour and we didn't even get to the stuff. So it's your fault. The if stuff. you're frustrated because we didn't get to the stuff, it's your fault for asking such great, freaking amazing questions. So we love you guys. We're honored to be a part. We've got stuff that you will hear next week that could have been yours today, but we spent time <laughs> wrestling with all of this. Great great context and feedback and questions we're so happy to do it and it's so invigorating for us i learn all kinds of stuff when you do this so thank you any last words timothy colbert nope nice oh that colbert clip was great though yes like to talk about that too yeah yeah oh yeah. yeah 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 anyway all right friends until next time thank you so much for tuning in love you guys bye Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.